What came as a huge surprise to many was the strong consumer numbers this Black Friday, up over 7% since last year, making a lot of people say, what recession, what problems, what calm before the storm? But as you know, many of us still believe that there are worse things coming down the road. China actually potentially showing the way with some serious deflationary pressure on profits over the last quarter. We're going to talk about all of this if it is, in fact, a calm before the storm, or maybe we've just been wrong and where Bitcoin plays a role in all this. Of course, I've got Mike McGlone, Dave Weisberger, and James Lavish. It is Macro Monday. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel, hit that like button. I hope that all of you had a wonderful holiday weekend. For those of you who celebrate, feels like uh, the United States just forces our holiday weekends and on everybody else anyways, because if nobody here is working, it seems like you probably can't get anything done anywhere else in the world as well. It's glad I'm glad to be back on a full schedule here. Been a few weeks where I've only had one or two shows We're starting with just me and Mike right now. We've got a pretty sweet view backstage. You guys can't see of the inside of Dave Weisberger's car as he makes his way up to his office. James, since we're a bunch of boomers having his standard Monday morning technical issues, but we'll be on soon as well. But I'm going to go ahead and bring on Mike because we usually start with Mike anyways. Good morning, sir. How are you? Uh, Good morning, Scott. It's good to be on. I can rant a little bit before my colleagues come back on, so I'm happy to go over you, uh, some of the stuff we went over in our, our economic meeting this morning and my outlooks, if you're like, unless to it, wherever you want to go. Yeah, let's dive, let's dive right into the morning call. I, I want to talk about Black Friday and the consumer yeah. afterwards, but I'd love to dig first into your morning call and uh, what's happening, what the view is at Bloomberg right now, because as I kind of pointed out, a lot of metrics still strong. Yes, and that's the key. I'm glad you started there because um, Bloomberg Economics pointed out that it looks like the downtown downturn is likely already started. Um, markets are obviously dismissive of that. There's notably stock market. But the key thing they pointed out about the extreme discounts from Amazon, Walmart, and all the above, and the buy now, pay later incentives. It's really yeah. never happened to that extent. It's showing strapped consumers. So that um, is something to be cognizant of. Now, I'm not just trying to pick out bad stuff out of good stuff. It's great to see that, but it's just the facts of what economic team points out. Our um, Chief um, Equity Strategist Gina Martin Adams pointed out that the second there's a second dip um, in the economy, potential risks there, but still pointing out the stock market is showing the momentum still strong and not showing any pick downdraft of that. And the key thing I want to bring out is something I've learned being in the grain markets for decades, and that is the old saying that when the uh, bulls get turkey for Thanksgiving, bears may get it for Christmas. Now, I look at that, and that's true. That's what I look at in the equity market. I think cryptos are the best leading indicator there is for that. So what I'm looking at, at that is that's a potential risk for now and then for next year. So we have to admit this year, everything, all risk assets have been up. Cryptos are the riskiest and they're up the most. Now, I should say Bitcoin. Now, the alts aren't up as much, but also, and and why are cryptos up a lot is that ETF, um, Hopium, which we know is going to happen. But the key thing that we pointed at the beginning year was one of the best potential assets to buy for that was GBTC. Well, that's already done. The, the point, I mean, it's up almost 300%. The key question you have to ask yourself for next year and the next few months is, okay, so what if we just have a normal recessionary backdrop for the stock market, which people have already said we're not going to happen, which is the opportunity. It's beginning of the year. People are priced too much for that. What does that mean for all markets? And so I like to tilt over what are the indications for that. For first, leading indicators. Now, people have heard poo-pooed that number, but it is minus 7.6%. That's almost always accurate. At the beginning of, of, at this time last year, it was about minus 4%. So it wasn't extreme. And then what's happened so far this year is the Fed hiked another 100 basis points. And I like to point out is from my key focus, which is shifting more towards commodities, is commodities are showing a clear global economic contraction risk. You have gold up, and you we, we mentioned that pre-show, gold is up above $2,000 an ounce. I think next year, gold's going to be knocking on the door of $3,000 an ounce. And I have to re- re- remind people remember will remember that, um, to quote Roger Babson when he gave a speech in 
1929 in Massachusetts. I'll repeat what I said this time uh, last year and the year before. I feel the same way about gold. I've been bullish gold for two years. I think it's just a matter of time it breaks above um, 2,000, goes to 3,000. But the key thing that's holding it back is the stock market's strong and rates are high. Both of those little things might be tilting downward. Now, that hasn't started yet, yet gold keeps going up. But in other currencies, it's doing what it's supposed to. It's made all-time new highs. And all the other commodities you look at, industrial metals, um, most notably energy, they're all tilting downward. I mean, continuing to bounce a little bit industrial metals, but continuing to show that global economic contraction risk. So to me, that's the tilt for next year. Um, and I still like to point out that um, the, the bottom line, I think, to, to end this with is, Anybody who's done well in the equity markets, up 45% in NASDAQ this year, and cryptos, you know, GBTC up 300% and Bitcoin up 100% in change this year, have to be worried that next year we just get a little reversion in that, a normal pendulum swing. Um, and that to me is why I keep pointing out that's the tilt towards enduring, um, I think, the, the more enduring recession um, in it's it's just a question of how long can the stock market lift all boats. So I guess there's two ways to skin numbers like these Black Friday numbers, right? The optimistic view or the pessimistic view. So up 7.5% from the previous year, reaching a record 9.8 billion. Uh, and there was actually, I think, a 2% increase in stores as well, which I think uh, surprised a lot of people. But most of this, as you mentioned online, then you were quick to point out buy now, pay later. Uh, which saw 79 million in sales and a 47% increase from the prior year. So basically what you're saying is that people aren't canceling Christmas, so they're going to get the deal while they can and kick the can down the road on paying for it. So maybe these numbers aren't as positive as they would seem because, it, you know, on the surface, once again, just looks like we have a strong consumer. Well, okay, that's a good thing. We've had a strong consumer for most of this year, but the bottom line I like to write about is why we've had a strong consumer this year is partly um, because of the wealth effect. There has not been a significant drop in the wealth that people gain from the 41% increase in money supply in virtually all assets to the peak in 2022. Now that's dropped back a little bit, but most homes are have actually increased and are flat to higher from those peaks. Equities are flat to higher from those peaks. We haven't had that reverse wealth effect, but what's that done for the Fed where well, they kept hiking rates? So it's come next year that the, the typical pendulum swinging rules of economics and history, I think are going to kick in. And it's good to see that we're still hanging in there from a consumer standpoint. But um, you're not seeing that in, in commodities. You're seeing the exact opposite. You're seeing declining demand for unleaded gas, declining de gas demand for diesel, declining demand, all recessionary demand for container boards and stuff I really watch closely, declining demand for natural gas. So from my standpoint, these sales are great, but again, they've been borrowed from the future. Um, and the bottom line is you got to just keep the stock market to keep going up for risk assets to go up. We just haven't had that normal recession contraction in wealth, which is great. Um, hopefully we can sustain that and history is different and it's different this time. Dave, do you have any thoughts on, uh, what's happening with the consumer and black Friday? It says here after cyber Monday, sales will likely taper off to the rest of the holiday season as retailers trim discounts. No surprises there. I would say. I, I think consumers are playing follow the leader. Our, our leadership in the central bank and treasury, everyone else are expert kickers of the can and consumers to the extent that you give them the ability to borrow are going to kick that can. Also, the problem is, is consumers don't have the printing press and you know, something that is interesting, I was reading this weekend, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a subscriber of Noel, uh, her Crypto is Macro Now newsletter, and she pointed out something that I think is, is very important, which looks, it's not confirmed yet, but the tick up in both loan defaults and high yield defaults is certainly increasing. And that always presages a jump, not a small jump, but a jump in unemployment because as companies can't, can't fund, they have to lay people off. Now, if you look at that chart, uh, which I was trying to bring up, Michael, Mike probably has a better version of this uh, on the Bloomberg terminal. But if you look at it, it looks like uh, loans have 
kind of strangely accelerated beyond, you know, defaults on loans that have gone up more than default on high yield, which is generally not what happens in this part of the cycle. I'm not sure why that might be, but at the end of the day, as long as high yield bonds, if high if companies with high yield bonds start to default significantly, that's when you will see an acceleration of unemployment. The fact is the Fed is watching this stuff. Uh, you know, it is not terribly surprising that the market is no longer thinking there'll be any more tightening. And I think most people in the market are betting on the, the ace can kickers, you know, tapping out, you know, and coming back in. And I think that's what's going on. The problem that Noel points out, and it's very accurate, is that the stock market risk assets still require earnings. At least some people like to see some earnings. And if, in fact, the economy goes into the dumper, then and you have a situation where the Fed is printing to try to get yourself out of it, the reality is earnings are going to take a hit before anything manages to trickle back through, uh, which is why I think you'll see more rotation into the, it sounds totally counterintuitive, but into more speculative assets where there aren't as many earnings. It's that old expression, you know, if you have earnings, then you have something to measure it by. You know, so I think that it's, it's, it's a fascinating setup. The, the truth is, is I, I can't help but think if we weren't going into an election cycle that this is set up for some sincere ugliness with risk assets, with some risk assets anyway. But, you know, it's, it's really a question of what the hell's going on and who can kick the can and, and whether they can. And that's what they're going to try to do. And I think Mike and I agree on that. The only thing that where we disagree is there's no version of reality where I can think that a third that gold could rally 33% and Bitcoin will do anything other than go absolutely stark raising crazy to the upside. Because the same, if, if even a fraction, if it for, forget the fact that it looks like there's been more inflows into Bitcoin than gold full stop. Uh, the fact is, is if a 10th of the money that was going to go into gold that would require pushing into 3000 came into Bitcoin, the market's just too damn small. For anything other than at least a, a doubling of the price and and that's really important to understand so that's why where mike and i agree and disagree uh but there are a lot of crypto out there there's a lot of projects out there that if we see a high yield implosion uh we'll have difficulty funding and so you could see bitcoin dominance dramatically increase uh, it depends on where it is. It also depends on the global nature of the economy. You know, where are, are, are the cracks founding? You know, where are they forming? And, and where are people going to put their money? So I think those are, those are sort of the thoughts. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. Mike, uh, you're, yeah, you're, you were muted. I think you were trying to come in. But um, I want to talk actually about China. Um, I was reading today that the, I, I have the story here. Let me just pull it up really quick. Uh, Asian stocks falls, China profit growth slows. This is basically um, industrial companies in China seeing a major slowing. I was re reading Grit. You, read, you were reading Noel this morning, Dave. I was reading uh, Grit. Uh, and basically saying that this is very, very strong deflationary pressure in China. We're already seeing it. Uh, is this giving us a peek into what we may see here? Because six months ago, people would have been telling you the same things that they're telling you about the United States right now, right? All the everything's strong, all the metrics are good. And now it sort of seems to be uh, seems to be leading. And to that end, we also had obviously uh, Mr. Xi come to the United States. And it seemed like some are saying that he bent the knee. Right. Uh, but but very, very like calm terminology about being friends with the United States and us lifting restrictions. And it can only be enemies or friends and we need to be friends. Right. I mean, we all we all heard what he said. It seems like China is uh, very eager now to save their economy with help from the United States. But that, that's a, I'm glad you, we went there. We went there, Scott, because to me, that's the overwhelming macro that it's not really hit hard yet. And I was very impressed was Mr. Z did come to the U.S. and, as you said, Bentony and tried to save face with. Um, President Biden, but he's stuck in a position now that's almost historically unprecedented. It's not unprecedented. If you read uh, Victor Shevitz, the, the Great Rupture, a whole section of China about the China's just doing what they have in the past. They just they 
they leap out to the front, they, they join the world and they push back. And he's completely done that. Now he's trying to see, I think this is indi indicative of what's happening internal. Now our, our Bloomberg economics team writes about China, the property crisis, and it's a complete consensus. Everything I read is, it's just getting worse. There's gonna be band-aids, but it's not gonna get better. The key thing also is I plug in an, an eternal, if I type in NI China, it's all the data in China. We have to be careful even writing about China because colleagues can get into detained. I mean, that's how bad it is. Now it's, I think what's happening is he's this, um, it's, I looked at him coming here as akin to, remember right at the beginning of COVID, we all heard how wonderful is they built a house, a, a hospital 11 days. And people thought that was so bullish. I'm like, do you realize how bad that is? It means they had to build a hospital that in 11 days, it's how bad it was. And we found out how bad it was later. So everything that's happening in China to me is, in, is completely fits into my narrative. It's a combination of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrug, peak China, and peak Soviet Union. You're seeing it happening. Beginning of the year was all about China rebound. Didn't happen. And now we have this virus kicking in again there. And we have all the, every major country in the world that was importing from China, it's so politically incorrect now to import. They're finding other ways. Most notably, the not lesson you learn in the history of the last hundred years. If you're a poor nation, you want to become wealthy, be friends with the United States. If you want to get poor again, be an enemy. The United States. It's just the way it's always worked. Has that changed? Who do they cozy up with? There's not a lot of demand pull out of, out of the Soviet Union. So, uh, well, Russia. So to me, this is the macro big picture. And I'll end with one key thing that's the best metric I think you can watch it. Just watch rates. The two-note rate in China is 2.4%. They're cutting rates or stimulating because they have to. In the US, it's 4.9%. That's a melting currency happening. They have to support that currency. Yes, it's not freely traded, but that almost 300 basis points of difference um, between the top country country in the world is the top importer and the top country in the world that's a top exporter. Now it's just pissed off all its customers is indicative of where things are going. And I think you see that in plunging energy, plunging industrial metals and slumping commodities, which is China has been the number one demand source for about the last 20 years. Hey, Mike, I want to give you a chance to kind of respond to what Dave said, but I, I didn't yeah. really think about it. You do have obviously the, the idea that gold and a lot of people share. Once it makes a new all-time high here, we're over 2,000 now. Novogratz said the same thing, 2,000 to 3,000 relatively quickly. And I tend to agree with that view. Do you think that Bitcoin would follow in that situation? Or do you think that it'll be a risk asset and fall off with stocks? Because the assumption here is stocks are going to go down for gold to go up. So right. that is, so. And, and, and I still think bigger picture macro, um, Bitcoin has a higher correlation with the stock market to gold. And also remember gold, um, Bitcoin has about three times the volatility as it does of gold and the stock market. And when markets go down, um, typically high volatility assets go down more. Now, one thing that's a problem for Bitcoin is it's already gone up a lot from the bottom on the narrative that everybody agrees with. They're going to get ETFs. But the thing that we agreed with on this program a year ago was if you're bullish ETFs and, and Bitcoin ETFs by GBTC, now what happened with GBTC? It's the best performer. It did what it's supposed to do in that narrative of taking away that discount and going to ETFs. So I'm very much, um, I disagree with Dave on that. And I think here's the thing, I need to see the proof. Show me the beef. And here's the thing why I like to say, because if we get a normal 50% drawdown peak to trial in the stock market, which is a lot. Uh, but that's what happened the last two times we had recessions. Then I think Bitcoin's going to suffer and gold will do better. But here's the thing is, we have not seen proof of that divergent strength yet. Now, we've seen the proof of divergent weakness and all the alts, most of the alts that got way too expensive on speculation. But let's look at this year in history. Let's look at the last two years. Everything, all risk assets went down in 2022. Cryptos went down the most because they're high, uh, the, the highest risk asset. Just look at a value at risk model. Everything's gone up this year. Cryptos, Bitcoin's gone up the most because it's a higher volatility asset and it's got that of course I, I get it it's the uh, fastest horse in the race but we have not seen that chance for it to show macro divergence stank, strength in a recession stock market going down bitcoin going to go up. i want i want to see the beef i need to see the same and i look at it as a as, as a risk manager sitting in that desk and saying to my boss who's running the money say oh yes sir i agree with you but if you look at the history when stock market goes down bitcoin goes down and i just need to see that show something other than that i mean first of all there's the correlation between bitcoin and the stock market over the last you know six months has been negligible 
Uh, the, but all of that is immaterial if one goes back to first principles, that where Mike and I disagree, and I pointed out every single freaking time, is Bitcoin trades like an option, and the trading characteristics of options are different than the trading characteristics of assets. When you look at every single on-chain metric, Bitcoin had a, the hash rate hit a new all-time high uh, less than a week ago. When you look at the number of, of holders who, and, and I, we can say hodlers if it, if it makes the Bitcoin community happy, but the people who are holding for long term, a new all-time high within the last week. If you look at every single on-chain metric, the fact is, is you would think odds of adoption Global adoption, which is what triggers the in the money, the this out of the money option of it becoming digital gold, are at least four X where they were when we hit the previous all-time high pre-Luna, pre, you know, pre, you know, 2022 catastrophe. So we're at half the price of the all-time high and four times the probability. And I always look at the Bitcoin price as a probability. Well, at 37,000, it's somewhere around, depending on how you calculate it, six and 7% is what the market is saying. Bitcoin would be digital gold at gold's current price. If we all agree that gold is undervalued, well, then that the odds are probably closer to 4%. Now, what does this mean? Well, it means that Bitcoin is at its core and its core use case these days uh, with, you know, obviously ordinals and other, you know, JPEGs and other inscriptions notwithstanding. The fact is Bitcoin's core use case is as an alternative currency for preserving wealth. And the kicker, the reason why there's so many smart people and we've seen this bid underneath the market is because people look at this asymmetric potential where, yeah, it could fail or it could 20x uh, minimum in order to get to where gold is. And so the fact is none of those, none of that, literally none of that has anything to do with future earnings on publicly listed companies, which is obviously what the stock market is. So from a fundamental perspective, in addition to the actual quantitative side, there's no reason for Bitcoin to be correlated to the stock market except for one thing, where Mike and I totally agree. When there are sharp falls, and if the stock market drops 50%, gold will fall also. The fact is, when there's sharp falls, people sell what they can, not what they want to. And yeah. I've said this a zillion times, just to be really clear. If you see a Black Monday event in the stock market, yeah, sure, Bitcoin, gold, everything else will fall. In 2008, gold took a full three months to delink from the stock market. So the next time it'll probably be quicker because that's people learn from, from the stupidity. But the fact of the matter is, I keep pointing out, and my favorite analogy is, what company from the 30s? Homestake Mining. Uh, I look at Bitcoin as, as a digital equivalent of homestake mining. I've said it many, many times. Now, there is one problem from Bitcoin perspective, and that is most of the adherents, most of the true believers are young, relatively speaking, who have less disposable income and are the ones that get hit first in a recession. So there is a chance that if we go into a deep recession, that all assets, Bitcoin included, gold also fall before it starts moving higher. But the truth of the matter is, I tend to have belief. It's sort of like, you know, when when the uh, I'm a Jet fan, so I have nothing to root for in the football <laughs> season anymore. But when when you do have one of those quarterbacks and the Jets are playing them, and the Jets score, but there it's a six point or less lead going toward the end of the game, you kind of know that quarterback's going to drive the ball down and score, and you're going to walk out shaking your head, saying "same old Jets." Well. In reverse, I have a pretty, I actually, I don't like the word faith, but I tend to believe that our politician political class has at least one or two more can kicks in them uh, before everything goes to hell in a handbasket. And so, you know, I don't know, but I, I, I'm a full believer in QE, whatever the hell we're up to, three, four, five, I don't know, uh, coming. And I think that that is when re the recession starts to kick up its head. I don't think there's any chance this year going into a, into a presidential election that the Fed or the Treasury are going to allow uh, unemployment to go from 3% to 7% because they'll know that that will be creating regime change via the election. And so it may happen anyway or it may not happen, whatever, but I just think that they're going to take those sorts of extraordinary measures. That's there's 
just I'll follow up with that, and then we should tilt the James. Let me just give some facts and goals. So I, I, I like to say in, in the gold as a basic, I mean, long-term commodity strategy, It's I think it's imprudent to be a gold bullish investor anymore, to hold gold without some Bitcoin in that space. I think completely agree with that narrative. Let's give you some facts on gold this year. Gold ETF holdings um, on a year-over-year -year basis are down about 8% and gold's up 15%. It's beating the S&P 500. That's never happened. We had ETF selling gold. Why is gold up? Because the deepest pockets on the planet are buying gold. Central banks, they can print currency, they can print paper money and buy gold with it. And they are in this war environment, global potential. Some people are calling it World War III. So to me, that's the bullish case for gold. Now, I don't disagree with Dave about Bitcoin. The key thing, remember, it's the best performing asset in history. When you got to sell, <laughs> you sell what you, where you have some money and some profits. So now I'm not, that's a short-term thing, but again, we haven't got through that. And also here's a key thing that market's already priced for next year, which I find striking is what Dave mentioned is there's not much we can do, anybody can do for an unemployment going from a bottom of 3.4% to reaching 5% next, next year and this year. That's the call from Bloomberg Economics that you're going to reach 5%. It's against consensus. It's very recessionary, but the market's already priced for that in rates. So if I just look at Fed fund futures in one year, Year from November, they're priced for uh, just looks like to um, price for 90 basis points, about 90 basis points of cut. So markets already price for the Fed to cut, yet most economists, most interest rate standards say they're not going to cut unless they have to. The key question we have to ask ourselves, what makes the Fed cut? You know, people are saying, oh, inflation going low. But for the rest of our lives, we're going to say, well, the last time you cut too much, you created this inflation. So my my bias is there's only one range thing to really trigger them to cut, and that's risk assets going down and what's the leading risk asset on the planet. James, we were sort of debating here whether uh, if gold goes from 2000 to 3000 and the stock market crashes, what does Bitcoin do? Does it uh, behave like the stock market or does it behave like gold? I know that you think that it uh, will behave like the stock market, at least initially, because you've said it here before. But do you think that it can then behave like gold? Do you, what, what would make it, well, I, I guess since we're calling it a lifeboat here, what would make it that actual lifeboat to somewhat detach from the risk on environment? Uh, I think honestly, the the most important thing is just for for it to have a higher uh, asset value, and you know it, it's just too volatile to be a store value for institutional investors and widely uh, for retail investors. It's still speculative on on the spectrum of investments because it's just volatile. Um, let let's say we get we get multiple ETFs approved early in the year, and uh, and that allows for that massive influx of capital from institutions to come in. Then that will uh, that that will stabilize it. I think a little bit at least. I I, I still think it's going to be volatile up front until it gets to a certain size. And whether that's um, you know three trillion or two trillion or five trillion, I don't know. But it's it, it's going to take a little while until it gets to the point where it's stable enough that investors will start moving, allocating to it out out of their bond allocations. And until that happens, I think it still just remains volatile and and more of a risk asset. But it's got to get to the point where where large institutional investors are confident to take allocation away from bonds and into Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about something because we haven't really brought it up. We've talked about the ETF to death. Obviously, I think that's still the key narrative floating the Bitcoin boat. 90% chance, according to Seyfert and Balchunas. Mike, you talk about uh, consensus and where interest rates are going to be. I don't know that I've ever seen a consensus greater than the fact that the ETF is going to get approved. What if it doesn't? And that's the easiest counter trade ever. What yeah, happens well, I, if they, they get go, rejected? Right? I, I, well, well, markets forgot about that risk, but I mean, I, we know that answer. I mean, the, the question is very leading. And that's, to me, the bottom line is that what I repeated earlier is when the, when the bulls get turkey for Thanksgiving, watch out for what, they, what the bears get for Christmas. I think that tilts for 2024. So it's, it's again, the key thing for this year is all risk assets are up this year, much more than most of us expected, particularly to me, except I thought gold would be much higher by now, and it was. It's not. But there's a good reason for it not to be. Um, it's just the key thing for next year is can we sustain this 
NASDAQ going up 45% in annual basis versus just the normal thing that it does, um, and that's tilt a little lower, particularly when you have leading indicators say it should. Now, of course, it's all different this time. I love when people say it, but here's a key thing I'm getting from all the strategists is people, they're saying what people want to hear, particularly this time of year. And I even did it Thanksgiving morning. I didn't want to post something bearish because that's not so nice. So I waited until afterwards to point out how, what housing, how expensive housing got versus GDP and what it typically does versus per capita income. Well, maybe it's different. It's just... Per capita income, U.S. average home price jumped up to around 10 before it was around eight, eight times. Now it's just usually goes back down. What does that mean? It's a reverse wealth effect. And and, and what's the Fed going to make do to stop that? Well, they just hiked rates. And last hike was only in July. Give this a year. Um, and that to me is this why I'm still sticking with that great reset. And at some point, um, I'm just worried that this bounce this year in all risk assets. It's going to do what it normally does. It's going to do what energy typically does. It bounces, and then the next year it realizes, oh, we went too far. There's also a vast difference between, oh, just the normal recession and what it should do here in a great reset, right? So, I mean... Uh... Well, I'm glad you brought that in, which is, and we'll tilt over to um, to Dave or James, is how I think it's illogical to expect a normal recession after a confluence of 100 years of year events on a global basis. I and mean, we, we, three years ago, were all worried we could die. A lot of us knew people who died right here, my son. Um, these things happen. And then you have to tilt back to, okay, well, we didn't. And what did we do during that period? We created the biggest liquidity pump in history. So I've gone back and read everything I can about liquidity pumps. They always dump. And when they dump, it's usually reciprocal to the pump. That's just getting started. And that's why I like to say is, Good luck with your mind. And so I had a, 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 a model or Bloomberg reach out to me from um, from uh, Europe this morning. He says, hey, we need to jump you in some of our modeling. It's like, yes, perfect. Because you got to, when you do your value at risk model, Dave and and James have both done that, you should have maybe 50 years of data. Well, can you bring in 100 years of data? What happens with the 100 years events? That's why I'm, I'm trying to fo focus and bring that in. And that's where I was really early on crude oil a year ago and got a lot of haters. But the fact that it's dropped almost 50% for the peak, it just fits into that macro big picture narrative. And there's one shoe left. Now, that's one thing I like about cryptos is they're new and different. Bitcoin's new and different. But if you look at the macro big picture models of what happens when you pump liquidity like we did, and then you take it away, it's never been a good response, a good thing. We're still delayed into the, I think, the normal pendulum swing in, after liquidity pump like we did up to the peak in 22. Dave, ETF, what happens? I mean, there is there is no version where the market is priced in what the, uh, the ETF long term because of, of what it actually means. I think that part of the reason the market is sitting here is because people are like, oh, we got to wait till January again. And then in January, if they say no, then there's going to be a court case and it's going to go even farther. And yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, this administration is being run by someone who's avowed hater of crypto right we know you've had your your podcast with with caitlin long is a must watch for anybody you could post the link here i'll tell you scott did a great job and caitlin is always amazing the fact is we know that this is true there is zero probability that that in my mind that uh that any new administration would do anything close to this we have a presidential election year so if Bitcoin, if, if Gensler decides, you know what, screw it, I got to keep pounding on Bitcoin because I'm being told to do so, it could happen. Uh, it seems more likely that what they're going to do is kind of let Bitcoin into the gate and try to keep pounding on the rest of crypto, because that is literally the actions they've taken with the Kraken suit. But, you know, we'll, 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 leave that, we'll leave that aside for a heartbeat. It could happen. If that happens, then you'll see a dip for sure. You'll see some selling and you'll see when you look at the on-chain metrics, you're going to see, wait a minute, uh, none of the people who were really long-term holders sold. They're still long-term holders. And, you know, and then people start talking about the next time. And look, I think that that's what happens. And, you know, sure. Is it a tradable sell-off? Yeah, it could be 20%. I mean, that sounds like bad for most assets, but for Bitcoin, that's Tuesday, right? You know, or <laughs> so it's like, you know, what, what, what are you worrying about? I, I think that people don't understand what's actually happening here. And what's actually happening here is that the rallies that we've had 
And, and look, we've been in a trading range now, a tight one for three weeks. Three weeks is nothing. We've seen multiple 10 to 12 week trading ranges. In fact, if you look at a one year chart of Bitcoin, I was just looking at it. Uh, it looks like plateau for a six, you know, six to 10 weeks, a ramp plateau for six to 10 weeks, a ramp plateau for six to 10 weeks, a tiny little ramp and a tiny little, you know, whatever for, you know, basically all of it. And then we've just had a ramp. And so for us to plateau here, doesn't, wouldn't surprise anybody. The issue is it's, it's basically done nothing. I mean, there's no Thanksgiving rally for Bitcoin. The rally was, you know, at the beginning of November and it's been pretty much exactly where it was. I mean, you know, within, you know, a thousand bucks or so, which is no big deal, you know? So look, I, I look at this as right now, there's there's a door. The door is fairly reasonable and we understand it. The, the things that I'm staring at on a daily basis is the amount of speculative activity. Things like last week, because it was the roll, and because there are people who are using Bitcoin futures to have their Bitcoin exposure, the calendar spread from November before it expired to December popped to six to eight hundred dollars. It is back down today to four hundred bucks, which is still high. Don't get me wrong, because the math says it should be around 120 with today's interest rates. But it's half what it was last week. If you look at the funding rates across all the perpetual swap markets, they're all negative or flat. There's no speculation in the markets right now. None. And in fact, we saw this when we had a couple of moves over the last few weeks that we've seen more short liquidations uh, on moves than long. But the truth of the matter is there's no long side speculation. Well, what causes a major dump in Bitcoin price? major dump in Bitcoin price happens when there's a lot of long speculators that people can trigger and create a liquidation cascade. If you don't have a lot of longs, you can't create a cascade. With leverage, right? Just so people are clear, he's speaking about with leverage, because we have seen a, quite oh, yeah. a bit of demand on the spot side buying, right? So, and I think that's lending to your point. You're seeing more investors than speculators. Yeah. I mean, it, look, at, at the end of the day, I mean, we're seeing lots of, of motion in crypto writ large. I mean, you know, there have been a lot of a lot of coins that have had significant moves. You know, Bitcoin and Ether, you know, it's still relatively stable. It, it got up to 0.56 something. Now it's a 0.54 something almost. It's been, been kind of around 0.55, you know, 0.55 is a ratio for a while now. But the truth is that there's been a lot of motion. Uh, under the covers, I and mean, we see it because we see a lot more volume going through our platform. We see a lot of spread trading. We see a lot of stuff, but there's no long bias. There's no short bias either. It's just there's no the, the speculative on leverage stuff, which has literally been the most reliable indicator of a market top. We are not. It just totally doesn't look like that. The last time we saw any, it lasted for less than three hours, not three weeks. Three yeah. hours before that, you know, before that came out. So the 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 the, the, the traders, the the large whale speculators in this market don't don't take long to uh, to flush that open interest when they get the chance. That's right. And so, look, it, the, the truth is that the most the, the the only stable open interest that has speculative pressure is in the United States, and it's in the futures market. And now I, mean, I can so, tell you, it's right here. I mean, now, by the way, uh, CME has smoked Binance. Now it's $15 billion, I think, ahead in uh, open interest. Uh, right. We talked about that maybe uh, they would pass them. Now they're leaving them in the rear view. There's 15%-ish more open interest on CME than Binance futures. Right. And so, look, the fact that the CME still has a premium is a little worrisome. It says that, you know, there are people in the U.S. who are betting. That's the people who are betting on a spot ETF. Mm -hmm. And that's the that's the money that causes what I would think that, that looks to be about a ten to fifteen to twenty percent dump if the ETF doesn't happen. But it won't be the ETF not happening. It'll be the ET. It'll be they're going. They're going to be taking back to court again. Because if you think BlackRock and Fidelity, who's working with the staff, and it, there's just no way we're we're way too far far down this rabbit hole. Does it have to happen in January? No. Could they delay it again? Of course. They could talk about, well, we need, this is the whole technical thing of uh, in-kind versus cash redemption. And I'm happy to explain that if people really care. But the truth is, is that it's, it's, a, it's no longer an if. It's semantics. It's yeah, yeah. It's, well, no, it's not semantics. It's a very serious problem. 
because in-kind redemptions mean you could take Bitcoin and create ETF shares with it. If you can't, then you have to pay a market maker in or you know dollars based upon the spot price. That is a big difference, which means if you have Bitcoin and you want to turn it into ETF, you would have to literally sell it for cash and then flop it to an ETF. So what you'll end up with is yeah. a market that I used to play in a lot when I ran a billion dollar index art book called the EFP or exchange for physical market. And that market's not well developed because the US companies can't touch physical Bitcoin. And so you're going to end up with a, a leak in the plumbing if, if the SEC forces it that way. It will be more expensive because one of the, the little thought about but very important reasons why a spot ETF should be a very big deal is it will lower trading costs. Why? Because market makers are pretty efficient and they're pretty competitive. And so you'll end up with very tight spreads, zero commissions in your Schwab, you know, Dean Witter, you know, Morgan Stanley, whatever, you know, account. And, yeah. and, th and that will attract a lot more retail interest because people like stuff that's cheap, right? Cheap to trade. Bitcoin right now is very expensive to trade if you're retail. And so that will make a big difference. If they force it to cash only, then yes, it'll still be cheaper, but it won't be as much cheaper because of that. So those things do matter, but I don't think we're, we're, we're talking about this big binary bad decision. I think, yes, when the news comes out, you'll get a pump and at least 50 percent of that pump will retrace. I think so. I, I got a question that for you, for you, Dave, and your thoughts on this. So, you know, when you when you launch an ETF, you have to have some sort of an NAV of the underlying. Right. And so, you know, there's all talk, all kinds of talk about BlackRock out there trying to um, accumulate enough Bitcoin for when they do, in fact, get approved. But GBTC has the underlying NAV and it's trading at a discount to it right now. So when it, if and when that does get approved to then be translated into an ETF, it would seem to me they have an advantage in a way and that they already yeah. have that underlying. I mean, I, I, look, they might. I mean, it, it depends. I mean, look, it's going to trade at a discount for a while for a very simple reason. It's because there's a management fee associated with it and risk that that they can't play nice with the SEC and all the other corporate crap that's going on. But that mm -hmm. discount is very low right now. I mean, it's it's, it's eight percent right now, right? Right, so, it, eight percent is fair yeah. for it. What um, is it, Mike? Yeah, you're right. You just dropped eight percent. That was such a classic case that I'm worried about. You know, at the end of last year, it was almost fifty percent, and it was trading what was the low around eight um, in the price. And okay, here we're thirty, and it's eight percent, and it's going to go to zero. Dave's right. There's going to be a bit of a spread there, but it's just a question of when. Um, and the question, so then it's going to be, okay, what's, this is going to be about the pure price of Bitcoin. And I did, um, and you know, overall, I think it's going to go higher, but I think the, uh, just to piggyback on a few things that Scott pointed as, um, CME open interest now in terms of Bitcoins is 117,000 Bitcoins. And that's the key thing that as an ex futures guys so really make sure people are aware of when you see the open interest in futures and sometimes be careful looking at it in dollars you have to look at it in the underline in terms of contracts of bitcoin and that was one thing i remember jp morgan put out an article back in 2019 how 18 how bitcoin cme futures were failing because they used dollar value my like, guys <laughs> no you have to use the amount that trades the actual bitcoins that trade and it was wrong but they learned um because they didn't trade in the future space but that's just an indication and one thing else I want to remind, remind people is no um, Bitcoin traders, and number one traded vehicle on the planet, I think. I, Dave, you can t pick in, um, t chime in how much it's more expensive now. No Bitcoin crypto traders ha have experienced a recession yet. Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, look, for institutional traders, Bitcoin is actually cheaper to trade than most people think. I mean, I, 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 this. I just did the, the TCA on our client trading Bitcoin spot. You know, if you're using coin routes, you're, you're paying less than five basis points all in uh, to buy and to buy or sell institutional orders. That's on many, many billions. And that's cheaper than pretty much everything but the most large cap liquid equities. And there's reasons for that. But the truth is it's not hard, it's a great trading vehicle. The futures uh, open interest on the CME is 
going to restrain and why any move on the ETF will be muted. Because the fact is, is you have to subtract from that what the futures ETFs have. Uh, but the truth is, a lot of the long open interest on the CME are people who will flip into the ETF when they have the chance to do so. Uh, because the role is very expensive. It's, a, it's a, a very expensive way to be long Bitcoin. And, you know, the old expression, you, you do not what you want, you do what you have to do, right? If you are, you know, right now, if you're hedging OTC derivatives, non-deliverable forwards, if you have done a contract for difference, if there's a swap, any of those things, and you're US-based or you're a bank, you probably feel that that's the only place that you can do it. And that changes when there's a, 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 a real ETF. Just like on my trading desk, in, a, in before, I'm old, so we'll admit this, before the S&P, before the spider existed, <laughs> if you needed to, to hedge for portfolio trade, you use future. Once you had the spiders, it was cheaper because spiders, uh, with, with all due respect to our SEC chair, who still thinks futures are a better market structure, futures have dramatically wider spreads and much more expensive than the equity markets because they're more competitive until they screw it up with all the things that they've passed recently or trying to pass recently. But the fact is the spiders are what every single trading desk migrated towards because it was cheaper for intraday or intraweek hedging. <laughs> and the same thing is gonna happen uh, in Bitcoin. And so there will be a, you just mentioned, a hundred and some odd thousand and open interest. I mean, some of it has other reasons for it, but it won't go to zero. But it is going to be supply and and demand because there's short sides of this too uh, that will come into the market and will be a restraining force on any rally. But it's also very limited in size. But you're right. You know, it is. It, there's a lot of plumbing that's going on here and will go on. Yeah, I have the data here on CoinGlass, by the way, David, as we were talking about uh, open interest and long shorts. People have been very much, this is on the 24-hour, this is the most net short uh, traders have been with leverage in over a month. So 52.64% shorts, it was 52.59 was the lowest before on 13th of November. So and, just and going back to what sense. you were saying, they, people like uh, the large traders, you can sort of see it anecdotally, but the large traders are shorting funding is slightly negative there's no chance right now of a long squeeze right so, but so here's let me thing. piggyback in there a little bit it's i think we fine i just right. want to make one quick point mike, i think we can go, go, ahead. Okay, go ahead just go ahead i'll, I'll get back to it mike well just just a key thing is it bar i mean i think it's complete consensus it's hard to dispute that it's the most significantly traded 24 7 vehicle ever on the planet and and so that to me is where i think it's more going to be leading indicator of risk than lead on uh, of risk off like gold you know gold typical or even treasury bonds because it's people love to trade it i mean it's it, it's it's just and it's the you got to trade the swings. All you when you're a trader, all you want is volatility. <laughs> it's just give me volatility. I don't care about direction as long as I get the right side once. So I give me volatility, and that to me is part of the problem of of it going up. In if risk assets go down, I mean sustaining that up is because it's yeah. probably it's the trading factor. I think this tells a very short term story. Just to to be clear, this is what's happening in a day or a matter of hours. This is for short term traders who are looking to to speculate just i think the overwhelming point was just confirming what dave's saying is that this is not one of those situations where you reach the top and people are massively net long and there's an easy flush to be had here there's just there's just no chance of a liquidation cascade uh to that side right now in this market yeah i mean i think also if you look at the whys it makes sense right so if you're the, the professional trading community basically had their eyes peeled on etf approval dates and as soon as it became clear that we were going to have to wait till January and we've had a run, the playbook says short it for the consolidation phase. And so that's what you've seen. Uh, these are not people who are, who are long term committed shorts. These are people who expect that short to reverse around uh, in the Christmas to New Year's time when people are are doing, you know, because I don't think anyone's going into January 10th or early January because they know the SEC could surprise a couple days early. I don't think any of these people are going to be short coming into that event. So whatever the leading short you have now will reverse for a New Year's rally at, and it's not a big rally because it's not that much uh, in all likelihood. It's completely predictable. 
Uh, that doesn't mean that the market's completely predictable, if at anything but. Uh, it actually, right now, technically looks a hell of a lot like it did in 17. Uh, and that's that's something that, that there, you had to get these great animal spirits, and uh, I don't know, I'm saying that's going to happen, but I am saying that that it, it looks that way. And traders have, have seen what happens, and picking up pennies in front of a steamroller is not a great idea. And so they don't do that. But, but I do want to say something about what Mike said about the greatest trading vehicle ever invented. I mean, the truth of the matter is Globex, S&P futures, yeah, the, the, the CME takes a day and a half off <clears throat> you know, on the weekend. But it, it is open from Sunday night, and we all talk about the CME gap. Uh, I, I will say this. I strongly suspect that in some period of time in the next two decades, pretty much every asset will trade the way that crypto is trading. It will be tokenization. tokenization. And, and, and it will be global. It's and, a better vehicle. And so that is going to happen. I mean, the reality is when there is a disaster over the weekend, yes, Bitcoin will react first. But if it's just if it's a week, normal weekend and the disaster is a slow motion train wreck, which is really what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a, you know, a boat going over the Niagara Falls and going, we're talking about a slow motion train wreck as unemployment starts to tick up and what's going on and people saying, mm, you know, whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, the most bullish thing about Black Friday and what's likely to be on Cyber Monday is it means people aren't going to be selling assets uh, in December to buy the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. <laughs> you already have bought them. Uh, and and you, you laugh, but I mean, you know, it's like, it, it, for those who don't know, that's a reference. It's true, but I do wonder if, uh, you know, if the same, the, the, the person who's actually holding stock and has the luxury of deciding whether to sell is not the one who's chasing down a, a Black Friday sale on a G.I. Joe either, right? We know oh, that we the, there, there are a lot of people, Mike is right about this. There are a lot of people living on the wealth effect. Yeah. And they sell as minimal as what they can sell. Uh, in order to pay for what they need. There, there are a lot of people like that, right, Mike? I mean, I don't know if you have stats on it, but I suspect right. that you do. Did you guys touch on the uh, buy now, pay later? Uh, yeah, we did right yeah. at the beginning when you were technically issuing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we, yeah, we, we talked about the fact that you could skin the Black Friday numbers basically in either way, right? Yes, we're up 7.5%, but a 50% increase in 47, whatever it was, and buy now, pay later. It doesn't. I mean, it seems not 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 to be full on conspiracy theory, but it just seems like every single point of data we get this year, it, it has been obfuscated with some sort of other side. Like the employment numbers are the employment numbers look great, yeah, but it, when you dig in deeper and you see that multiple job holders are up, you know, uh, and uh, and hours worked, it, it's just it, it seems like there's a lot of of confusion around the data this year in particular. And, uh, and it, it's going to, what, what it does do is it, it, it uh, emboldens both sides. It emboldens both the bears and, and the bulls. And so you get this more or less sideways action until, and, and it is more like, like you're saying, Dave, a, uh, instead of off the Niagara Falls, you're getting the slow motion train wreck because there's, there's a lot of confusion around it. And so, uh, yeah, so in another another data point, you know, I, I read months ago that I can't remember if it was the if it was the San Francisco or New York Fed that predicted that the the stimulus checks would be all but evaporated by the end of this year. And so that's that goes back to this point of Black Friday, nine point eight billion dollars of sales. How much of that was these checks? How much of it was on credit? How much of it? Because, you know, if you look at I, I looked at some charts on Bloomberg this morning before the tech uh, issues I had. And, you know, just looking at the the interest payments are surging. Right. So if I can if I can share, I'll try to see if I can share this. Yeah. Um, just really quick question. Are, are we still talking about people 
living off of or feeling wealthy in 2023 because of a $1,200 stimulus check that they got three years ago? Uh, it's are we crazy. talking about like, are we talking about PPP where people, you know, took $75,000 they didn't need or Yeah. All the above. All, all, the above. Then, all the above. And then there's a money supply pump. It pumped 41% from 2019 end to the peak in 2022, 2021. And now it's only 34%. If you look at all risk assets, they're up the same. It's just, it's never happened in history. So that, like exactly, and so in 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 just a few months ago, we were talking about how interest payments interest payments were going to surge yeah. because of rate raises and because of just the sheer amount of debt that individuals are taking on. The consumer debt is at all time highs, and so here you go. And now, and this isn't just the interest payments. This is as as a percentage of income, and so we're 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 fast approaching the highs of of the great financial crisis. This is, I mean, the only thing we're missing on this chart here is that red line on the right-hand side. There you go. Then it's magenta for Which is the recession. But what, but, but it, the, the increase there is just astounding. It's right? astounding. You look, at, you look at these past ones and this is literally yeah. this is faster and twice yeah. as far uh, to travel there on, on the jump. Uh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. What is, are people just Why is blind this? to this or are they just doing what they have to? Like, how do there's, there's how does your average reasons. person who sees this not yeah, react? There's, there's, a, there's a few reasons in my mind. Number one, it, the, in, all individuals have been used to, and the, anybody who is uh, younger than Gen X, basically, is has been used to ZERP, zero interest rate policy for, for over a decade yep. now. That's number one. So taking out debt and credit was nothing. I mean, you could you could deal with it. Right. So that's number one. Number two, wages are not keeping up with inflation. Number three, you you now have the, the Fed didn't raise rates just five percent. The Fed raises raised rates over a thousand percent of where they were. Right. Yeah. So it was like they've they've raised it from 0.25 to over 500 basis points. So 25 basis points of 500 basis points is a massive move in rates on a percentage basis from where they were. And so now you're seeing credit card rates at 28, 29.9% because 29 I guess that's what they think they can get away with before it's it, it's predatory. Pitchforks pitch and, uh, pitch and torches. Yeah, I mean. But. that's And so this is where we're at. And of course, don't underestimate the, those pitchforks and torches and the fear uh, on uh, among the current administration about what this means. I mean, even if unemployment doesn't pick up and they can suppress what it looks like by double counting people who are working a part-time job because they can't afford what they're doing on their full-time job, those interest payments are one of the reasons. People keep asking this question. All the pundits, you read this stuff, say, like, why are, I mean, I, I see this all the time. I mean, Mike, you must laugh about this. People saying, I don't understand this recession. Why are voters saying that they're not happy with the economy? Look at all these great numbers. And the answer is because people can do math. And they say, okay, my min paying my minimum, my credit card bill costs me X. Paying my insurance costs me Y. Paying my rent or my, my HOA fees, which are going up much more than I ever expected, are costing me Z. And they look at all this and they say, okay, add that up. And it's less than... Uh, it's more than, excuse me, what my take-home pay is. I got a problem. And that's why voters are pissed. So, you know, what are we seeing? We're seeing the first, the first, the, the obvious. I mean, Elizabeth Warren on every single one of these things calls for price controls, right? You know, and, and how does that happen? If price you control think, on Big Macs, right? If you or think, on Subway, that's it, on Subway, right? Oh my God, they they want they they think that that, that there'll be monopolistic behavior because we lost the five dollar footlongs. Well, we lost the five dollar footlongs. Chart I just cost them six dollars to make it. Yeah, look at, chart I, look at the chart I just put up, right? Gotcha. So, and the, and this is this is the voter who's realizing that they're being gaslighted, right here. They're they're being gaslit. Yeah, they're they're under pressure. Their delinquencies are rising because now they've got the, all of those student loan payments that they've got to make, and they've got to make the credit card payments that they were that were they were ignoring. And so, where did that nine point eight billion dollars of of spending come from? Well, it probably boomers who were buying things for for themselves and for their their kids and grandkids, and then paying uh, buy now pay later. Yeah. Because and, and before you join James, I made a point, and I, I'd love to hear your take on this. Which is which is is courtesy of Noel, who's part of someone else. That loans 
have led to loan delinquencies are leading uh, ahead of in this 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 spike high yield bond fund yes. delinquencies, which is fascinating and is exactly why what you were just showing. But when the high yield bonds start catching up, i.e., the, the financial system, if they yeah, because they're going to have to be reset. They're getting reset over the next three to five years, and when that happens. And it, they'll start resetting this year at the end, of, in the middle of 2024 and, and towards the end, you'll start seeing a bunch of them. But, and why have high yield spreads, why are they so tight? Because investors are still emboldened to go after risk assets. That's a risk asset. Yep. You know, so. Yeah. Love it, guys, but it's 10.03. Sorry, I was late. My, my, no, computer, you're good. my computer decided to update. And when I oh, turned it on, happens. it decided to update. I'm like, <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, and it's like a casual 47 minutes later. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, always, every time. Uh, guys, amazing chat as always. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, all of their Twitter accounts are in the description. Please just follow them already, for God's sakes. Follow me too. I mean, I don't know, you might not be. Um, and uh, we will definitely now I've got a full week on the docket this week, which is great for the first time. Still operating without a producer. Crazy. I know you guys keep asking for updates. He's still, uh, in detention in Louisiana somewhere waiting for a deportation. We're now fully at a month. Uh, he's been wow. sitting there. So pretty, pretty wow. insane. If you're wondering uh, what it's like to uh, get stopped at the border in the United States, you don't really have many rights or due process. Really, really a crazy, crazy thing. So guys, we'll be back, of course, uh, next Monday. And I will be back tomorrow at 9.30 a.m., uh, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, everybody. Thank you, guys. See you. That's dope.